Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the blessing and grace that we have received, Lord, that you roused us from our beds this morning and brought us to this place. Thank you, Lord God, for speaking to us, for calling us here to worship you. Lord God, we pray that you would be revealed to us, Lord, in your uh, word as we dig into it today, Lord God. May you show us your word incarnate, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would speak clearly to us, speak deeply to us, Lord. As the waters fell upon our county, Lord, in this last week, we pray that your waters would fall into our heart, Lord, that you would nourish and uh, take away the drought in the hard parts of our heart, Lord, that you would redeem us, that you would free us from the bondage to sin and death, that you would set us free from our slavery to evil, Lord, and that you would help us to worship you, to follow you, and to serve you, to love you. Lord God, place your words in my mouth that I might be faithful in preaching them. And we pray that you would place your words in all of our mouths that we might be faithful in bearing testimony to you. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. It is so great to see you all today. Well, as you know, as it's apparent to you, you probably moved here for this reason, we live in a beautiful place. Right? We live in a place where we are surrounded by the beauty of God. You can go maybe just right outside your front door and look out and see God's handiwork all about you. And for me, there's nothing more beautiful than going out into the mountains on a dark, moonless night and looking at the stars in the heavens. Right? I mean, it's, it's just amazing to see the magnitude of stars. And it seems like when there's no other light polluting it, no other light infringing on those stars, they seem just right there with you, don't they? They seem so close, right there in front of you. You feel like you're right in the middle of them. God can use these opportunities of revealing his beauty in nature and the awesomeness of his creation to speak to us and to reveal himself to us. And we see him doing just that in our lesson from the book of Genesis. We have here the account of God's covenant with Abraham. Now, in my sermon, I'm going to use the name Abraham. You noticed in your reading it was Abram, but we most know, mostly know him as Abraham. So for simplicity's sake, you'll hear me say Abraham when I'm preaching about him. But Abram and Abraham are the same person. God likes to do that, right? Give people like different names and things uh, just to throw us off and keep us on our toes. So here we are. Abraham has been called by God to leave his home. And where's his home? His old home? Ur. Ur. I love that. Ur. I once had a professor in college who would speak about, like, the original people in the land. He would say, the Ur people. You know, they were the original folks who were there. The Ur people. So I always think about him as I read about Abraham. So uh, he leaves Ur the Chaldeans and follows the Lord to this new place. He listens to God and leaves behind his existence as it was before, takes off to follow him to this land called Canaan, uh, which will eventually be the, the place of Israel. He has been promised by God that the Lord would make a great nation out of him and that all the nations of the world would be blessed through his descendant. Abraham was 75 years old and childless, when he left his land and set out on a new adventure with the Lord. That's really when we want to leave, right? That's when you want to pick up and walk a few hundred miles 
right, to a new land and establish yourself again? Absolutely. Right? It's when you're feeling fresh and youthful. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. When you live, yeah, when you live several hundred years, it does help. Um, but that's what Abraham does. He picks up, and here he is now in this new land. He has listened to God. He has been faithful to God in following where the Lord led him. And yet, despite that, he remains childless. The promise is not fulfilled. There is no concept of a nation, because Abraham has no children. And he's not getting any younger, either. Right? So how in the world was God going to make a nation out of him? In the midst of this doubt, the Lord speaks to Abraham in a vision and says, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Now this seems kind of like, okay, like a cool promise, but it doesn't make necessarily much sense because our passage is somewhat ripped out of its context. But what had taken place right before our passage in chapter 14 of Genesis is Abraham had just run down and defeated four kings and their armies in order to help out his uh, nephew Lot. And he had, had, um, despite this massive victory against these kings, he had not taken any of the spoils of war. He had left behind all the loot for others to take instead. He didn't want any of it. And so he had just had a big military victory, and he had not taken anything from that war. And the Lord says to him, Don't fear, Abraham. I'm your protector. You will have a great reward. God explains to Abraham that he is the one who protected him, and he is the one who will reward him. Abraham doesn't need to trust in conquering other people to get a reward or getting a great job, or whatever it happens to be. He trusts in the Lord for his reward. This is a great promise, but Abraham still has in his mind another promise, an older promise, that God would make a great nation out of him. And here he is, in this new land, fighting wars and all that, and yet has no heir. And so Abraham, he thinks, what's the point of a great reward If there's no descendants to give it to, what's the point of accumulating more stuff if there's no one to share it with? What's the point of all this if everything's just going to go to my servant, Eliezer? It's not exactly the the legacy that Abraham is looking forward to. He wants to know that there is a child coming. He wants to know that the promise will not end up empty, but will be fulfilled that he and his wife are not the end of their line. And so the Lord answers this fear and says, This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. Uh, The word issue there is used to speak of a descendant. And anyone who has children know that they are indeed your issue. (laughs) Right? They are your own issue that you must deal with. For good or ill, right? You are going to have a child, your own flesh and blood, who will carry on your legacy, who will be your descendant and carry the blessing. A nation will be formed from you, Abraham. You can be sure of it. And so he tells him to look up at the stars and to count them. Anyone ever tried this? It was really easy when we lived in Dallas. Right? Because you got like five stars. So you're like, yes, I can count the stars here. 
But you get out in the prairie, and it's a different story, right? Just amazing number of stars. I used to try this when I was a kid. I'd try and divide the sky into little pieces, right, and count, but I never could get much past 35 because then I'd get confused as to where I was. It's hard to do. So many of them. So he tells them to count the stars for what purpose? Yeah, you'd know how many descendants there are, right? And it's interesting because he says, count the stars if you can, if you're able to, because that's how your descendants will be. You will not be able to count them. Now, Abraham, Abraham will not live to see all these descendants, obviously. But God is giving a promise that his descendants will be, will be uncountable, like the stars in the heavens. And so what does Abraham do when God tells him this, to look at the stars and to count them? And to know that his descendants will be like that? He believes. Abraham's response is he believes. He believes the Lord when he speaks. He trusts that what God has said will come true. And that faith is credited to him as righteousness. The faith becomes what justifies him. It's not his obedience to something. It's not his doing something that makes him righteous before the Lord. It is his trusting in God. He trusts the Lord. It's not behavior, but faith that sets him free. Then the Lord promises that this land will be his as well. And he says, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. I am the Lord who guided you. Trust me. But Abraham is having difficulty trusting and asks how he can know that this will take place. And the Lord answers him with a sign. Right? So Abraham lays out a sacrifice and the Lord passes between the pieces of it in the form of a smoking fire pot and a burning torch. The Lord makes a covenant with Abraham saying, To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river the river Euphrates. Now, a covenant, we don't use that language much anymore, the language of covenant, but we're surrounded by covenants, aren't we? Yeah. Right? If you live in, like, a, a community, often you have a covenant. Right? You have a homeowner agreement or whatever, HOA. And are those, is that a, um, the covenant is between two parties, right? Sometimes the parties represent many people, like lots of homeowners and a board that manages the covenant. Right? And it's, uh, it's an agreement that certain behaviors will be upheld and certain results come of it. Right? They'll maintain whatever, the front of your house, if you take care of everything else and pay your dues, or however it works. Um, there's other covenants. Anyone name any other covenants we have in our lives? Marriage. Marriage. There we go. That's a good one. Right? Two parties covenanting together, certain understanding of what the covenant will look like and what the fruits of it are. Um, what else? Loans. Right? They're covenants too. Right? Yeah, covenants between us and God. That's right. And we'll get to that one in just a little bit, Cass. That's right. And so um, this covenant here is between the Lord and Abraham. And Lord says, To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. So God's side of the covenant is that he'll give Abraham's descendants all of this. What's Abraham's side? Does it say that? It just says, to your descendants I give this land. 
God is the one who is fulfilling this covenant. Abraham need merely receive and trust. That's it. Abraham's side of the covenant is to trust, to believe, to believe that God will carry out and be faithful his covenant. The promise is there in this passage for both a people, that nation that would come from Abraham, and a place, that place that God would, would set them. These two things are given to Abraham, and assurance is given to him of the reality that this will take place and be fulfilled by the Lord. We as well have the promise of a person and a place. The person that we are promised with is Jesus Christ. And like Abraham, the world needed to wait for this son, for this descendant, this one who would be a blessing to the nations of the world and who would fulfill the promises to Abraham in Genesis. We have been invited, like Abraham, to trust in him and to respond to him in faith. Now in God's beauty, he also provides a place for us in his son. His promises, he promises to us the new heavens and the new earth where we will dwell with him forever. Because God understands that we depend upon a person and a place. We're people who need that to hold on to. And so the question is, will we believe the message? Will we, like Abraham, have faith even when we cannot see that promise ahead of us? The Lord has given us signs in the heavens and on the earth to reveal to us how he does fulfill plans. For instance, the sun rises in the morning and it sets in the evening. Do we trust that it will rise again the next morning? Yes, we do. We trust. We trust that the sun will do this because this is how the Lord has set that pattern in motion. The stars follow their courses, right? When you get to the winter, different stars are visible in the heavens than in the summer. If you're lost at night, you can look up to Polaris and, and trust that that is north and you can follow, use that as your sense of direction. The Lord has ordained and set these things there for us to trust in him and believe in him and to see that he has placed an order in this world and he fulfills promises. The seasons change. The winters come. They freeze. They cause the leaves to fall off the trees and all that kind of stuff to happen. And then spring comes and gives us hope and new life. The Lord has given us these cycles in our life to show us the beauty and fulfillment of the Lord's plan. He carries through with what he has promised. In life, though, it can be difficult to trust. There are many circumstances in our life that make it hard for us. Right? It can be death of someone we love. It can be sickness or disease. It can be suffering and pain. It can be loss of a job or change of life circumstances or a move or any of these things that unsettle us. It can be difficult to trust that God will be faithful and that he will fulfill his agreement with us. When life presents us with situations which seek to take our faith away, may the Lord give us the faith to trust that he is faithful and that he will fulfill his covenant with us. May we trust that he has provided a person for us in Jesus Christ and a place for us in eternal life. And may we hold fast to him because he will never let go of us. Let's pray. 
Lord God, thank you for setting the stars in their courses, Lord, and providing the seasons with their cycles and repetition, Lord, to remind us that you are a God who fulfills your promises. You are a God who is faithful day after day. Help us to trust in you, Lord. In the midst of a world in which so much is shifting, may we trust faithfully in you and believe that you are the God who carries out what you have promised. Thank you, Lord, that you are the holder of the covenant, that you are the one who provides, that you are the one who redeems. Give us the faith to trust in you. And we pray, Lord God, that you would help us as we are redeemed by the blood of your Son to go out into this world transformed and proclaiming your good news that others might know you, might love you, and might serve you as well. Help us to live, Lord, as your blessings in this world, caring for those who are in need, comforting the suffering, the suffering, feeding the hungry, Lord, binding up what is broken, and seeking to offer your hope and your life in this world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.